but I want to bring you back to a focus on vision. And we're using this hashtag. If you like social media, maybe you don't like social media, but you use social media. If you use social media, use the hashtag vision. If God hits you with something, put up a quote, put up a picture, put it on your Facebook page or tweet it to your, your Twitter followers, put it on Instagram, and let's continue to spread the message about vision to others. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. If I remember correctly, and I'm old enough that I might not, but if I remember correctly, this was the verse that I walked us through the last time that I preached on vision. So since I did that, let me give you a couple of highlights. We won't put up a bunch of notes. I'll just kind of walk you through this verse. All of these things I'm kind of extracting from the original Hebrew. Where it says there is no vision, the word for vision here wasn't referring to physical eyesight. It was referring to spiritual vision or spiritual pictures. So what this would represent is divine pictorial or vision communication of God. So where there's no divine word from God, what happens? It says the people perish. In the original Hebrew, the word for perish is also translated as un they're uncovered or they feel abandoned. Um, they're not protected. They're vulnerable, okay? If you go into battle, you want to be covered. You want to be ready for that. You don't want to feel vulnerable. So where there's no spiritual insight, the people are vulnerable to perish. But he that keepeth, the Hebrew word for keepeth here is stands guard over. It's a word that's used over and over again to refer to like a watchman that'll stand on the wall to, to protect the people. He how many want your watchman, if they're supposed to be on the wall keeping the city safe, how many want that watchman to stay awake at night? You don't want them sleeping on the job. So we need to stand watch over the law. Now, when we talk about law, my mind goes back to growing up in the church and I think about the Ten Commandments, and I think about what I'm not supposed to do and what I am supposed to do. But that's not what's being communicated here. The word for law is Torah. Now, that can refer to the first five books of the Bible, but it also refers to the instructions of the Lord, the guidance of the Lord. He that keeps the instructions of the Lord, that person's happy. So when you think about this, I'll just kind of explain it. Where there's no spiritual pictures from God, no, no divine communication from God, people are vulnerable, people perish. But those that guard the instruction of God, they're happy. Well, what's the instruction? It's the vision that he gave. Okay? We're not talking about guarding Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're talking about guarding what God has shown you. Let me just ask you this. How many have had a vision from God giving you some direction for your life and for your future? Do you feel like you have to stand guard over that thing? Once God gives you a vision, the enemy wants to destroy what God's showing you. He wants to come against that. So if you feel like, man, I feel like the spiritual battle amped up since God showed me that. Surprise, surprise. The enemy knows that when God gives us revelation, if we walk out the revelation that he is giving to us, it just means death to the enemy's kingdom. It's another area where we're going to conquer and we're going to win. But when we keep it and we watch over it, happy is he. How many know that happiness can be temporary or it can be eternal? 
And eternal happiness comes from those that see the vision of God and walk it out. So with that said, let's give you some insights regarding vision. We'll go through the five of these quickly. If you want to take a picture of them or jot them down, you can. Insights regarding vision. Number one, and this, this first one is what we just walked through. A lack of seeing God's direction leaves one unprotected or vulnerable. While holding his instruction is satisfying now and eternally. So that's just another way of rewriting Proverbs 29, 18. Okay? That person is going to be satisfied now and later. All right, number two. Visions aren't for the super spiritual. They're for anyone that God is speaking to. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time with Christians, and sometimes there has been this sense that to get a vision from God, you really need to be an upper escalon Christian. You've needed to walk with him for a number of years, have a certain number of verses memorized, and have a good church membership. And that's just not true at all. As a matter of fact, God will give visions to people that aren't following him because he gives them vision because he wants them to know that he's reaching out to them. So it's not for super spiritual people. It's just for people. It's for anyone. Number three, vision is simply about seeing what God is saying. We just need to see what God's saying. How many learn better when you follow an example? Okay. How many don't like to read manuals? Let's see those hands. Now, there's, I want to see the crazy people. How many of you enjoy reading manuals? Come on. I know some of you are in here. Yeah. Some of you are being very subtle. I, I like to read manuals. Yeah, Psst, right here, PB. Okay. I can't stand to read manuals. I like to watch somebody do it. And then I like for them to watch me do it, and then I like to do it on my own. I, that, I just learn better watching. It's just kind of the way that I'm wired. It's the way that I'm made. This, visions are great for people like me. They're great for the rest of you that said, yeah, I like to watch it. God will show it, and then we can do it. Number four, God shows us pictures because it's easier to understand them. Kind of the same thing. And number five, visions keep us from giving up what we want the most for what we want in the moment. How many have some visions for your future that if you just did what your flesh wanted you to, to do today, you would miss the vision for your future? So when we have a vision for our future, it helps hold us accountable so that we don't give up in the moment our future that God has for us. Now, there's all that. That's everything we've talked about the first two weeks that I've preached. Let's get into new stuff. Let's talk about prophets. Prophets are what we have after we've taken all of our income, we've paid all of our expenses, and we have this chunk of money left over. Amen? Okay, that would be a seminar that I was... Uh, we're going to talk about biblical prophets, and we're going to talk about biblical priests. And this is something that I was just pondering this week. I'm going to bring you into my prayer time with the Lord. I was talking to the Lord about vision, knowing that He put it on my heart to share with you guys for a couple of more weeks about it. And just kind of dealing with these things and thinking these things through. And I felt like he took me back and he had me just kind of do a quick review about prophets and priests. So since he had me do it, guess what happens? I share it with you on Sunday, right? So let me remind you about prophets and priests. We'll talk about prophets first. Prophets did not, they weren't just men. It could be men or women. And as a matter of fact, we're promised in Joel that God would put his spirit on our children. So not only men and women, adults, it can be on our sons and daughters, on our children. They can prophesy. 
The role of a prophet specifically is to see or hear what is taking place in heaven and then to give that revelation to earth. Now, I know this is a poor decision as far as a communicator to turn my back to the crowd, but if you'll imagine with me that I'm looking toward the presence of God, and I'm, as a prophet, my role is to look toward the presence of God and seek Him. Perhaps He shows me a vision, or He speaks something to me, and I know what He's communicating. As His mouthpiece now, I turn from heaven, and I face earth, and I proclaim the message. The proclaiming of the vision, the proclaiming of what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, that's a prophecy. At its simplest form, a prophecy is communicating what you have seen or heard from God. Now, you can communicate it in different ways. Joanna stepped up earlier and said, this is what I saw. And she shared that with us. And then she even gave what she felt was the interpretation to that. She could have just stepped up and said, hey, the Lord is showing me today that your walls are coming down and what the enemy has tried to build around you to keep you from moving forward. God knows you've been contending. You're going to get a breakthrough. Amen. Okay? It's the same word. She chose to communicate it by telling us the vision and the interpretation. How many know that's completely fine? If she would have just given us the interpretation, that would have been fine. That... God's word says that the spirit of a prophet is subject to who? The prophet. So he allowed her to communicate that any way that she wanted to. Now, I'll just share as an observation what I thought was remarkable. She basically quoted herself in the second service from the first service. I, when I preach messages, and some of you that are in here and hear me twice from time to time because you're serving, they never come out the same way. And it was remarkable as I'm listening to Joanna. She said, the, I mean, it was virtually the same thing. I'm like, man, that's amazing that she was able to do that. A prophet prophesies. Now, with that said, let me remind you, one of the roles of Jesus was the role of a prophet. Oh, he's more than a prophet, but he was a prophet. Another role was the role of a priest. Now, he's more than a priest, but he's a priest. He's also the king. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So if Jesus came as a prophet, one of his jobs was to communicate what the Father was showing him. Look in John 7, 16. It says this, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. So in other words, this wasn't just a good brainstorming session on my part. I wasn't hanging out with, with Simon, Peter, and James, and John and came up with this idea. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. There is an inference of the prophetic mess, uh, ministry of Jesus. We've read the verse many times where Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. A prophet communicates the word of the father and shares it with others. Now, let's talk about a priest. A priest is different. If a prophet faces heaven so that we can receive the revelation of heaven and give it to earth, a priest does something else. A priest tends to represent the people of earth and bring the need to the father in heaven. You know, one of the roles of the priest was to offer sacrifices, to offer sacrifices for sin because the people get off target. Another role of the priest was to offer sacrifices for worship 
because God is worthy to be praised. Another role of the priest was to burn the incense in the tabernacle. Well, why did they burn incense? Well, we find out in the book of Revelation that there's an incense bowl of heaven. And what is it? The prayers of the saints. So it represents the prayers that go up. Did you know that when David was king of Israel, one of the things that David did was he hired priests to worship God 24-7. How many you knew that? Literally hired them. What's your job? I am a worshiper. How do you survive? The king pays me. Because he wants worship to take place at the tabernacle 24-7. Have you ever read the psalm that says this? Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord, bless the Lord. How many of you have ever read that, that psalm? Guess what the context of that is? The second shift priests, the guys that worked from 3 in the afternoon to 11 at night, were ending their shift. And so as the graveyard shift arrived, they said to them, Hey, come bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord, you who stand by night. They were the bottom guys on the totem pole, but they got an extra buck an hour because they worked the night shift. They said, hey, stand and worship the Lord tonight. Why did they have them stand? How many know it's easier to fall asleep when you're sitting down? I'm watching it around this room right now. It's absolutely remarkable, okay? Maybe I should sit down and have you stand for a while. Come, servants of the Lord, stand while pastor sits and communicates with you, right? And the role of the priest was to give God worship, to pray, to intercede, to bring sacrifices. They took place in the tabernacle that was, that was constructed very specifically the way that God wanted it constructed. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a priest. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It says, therefore. What's the there, therefore? Well, we've been talking about earthly priests, and they were okay, but they're not as good as our eternal priest because they could only serve for a while, and then they die. But Jesus is a priest that lives and serves forever. We have a great high priest. Look what it says. Who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, if my my quoting gets a little off from time to time, it's because I memorized the NIV 1984 before they switched things around a little bit. So that's what's going on there. Jesus ascended to the Father, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, I'm going to tell you something. My grandpa Riley was a farmer. And when you worked with my grandpa Riley, I threw a lot of hay growing up, a lot of hay bales, did a lot of work on the farm mucked some stalls, did some of that stuff that builds your character and uh, puts a stink on your shoes. I did some of those things. But one thing about my grandpa was pretty clear. You know when you sat down? When the work was done. You didn't get a break every two and a half hours, 20 minutes. Somebody from the company showed up to make sure that you got the proper proper amount of fluid before you had to stand at the register for another 20 minutes. And there was none of that going on. I mean, when you went out to work with grandpa, you worked until the work was done. And when the work was done, you sat down. It was good and you were exhausted. And grandpa would say things like this, it's a good tired. I think he was actually just trying to get me to believe that. 
right? It's a good tired. And there is nothing like cold ice water on a 105 degree day when you're in a barn and you get done stacking hay bales and you come down and you guzzle that and it's instant headache, but it's a good headache and it's a good tired. You know when you sit down? You sit down when the work's done. And Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he sat down because the work's done. The price has been paid. The devil's been kicked in the mouth. The enemy's been defeated. Greater is the spirit that's in you than the spirit that's in the world. He's coming back for a spotless bride that has been made spotless by the blood of Jesus that was not only shed for you, but was presented to the Father, and it fulfilled the mandate once and for all. Innocent, forgiven, new creation. Can somebody praise Jesus today? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The work's done. Jesus was an incredible priest. We turn to him. He is our great high priest. Some people get aggravated with certain churches that you've got to go to the priest. Don't get aggravated. Well, they call him a priest. Well, God calls you a priest. As a matter of fact, God's word says that you're a kingdom of priests. So don't get upset with the title. We have a great high priest. There's only one. But we are priests because now... Just like Jesus represented others to the Father, do you realize that we do the same thing? As prophets, we look at heaven and we prophesy. As priests, you know what we do? We pray for our kids. We pray for our nation. We bring sacrifices of praise and worship. It's just part of what we do. It, we, we bring earthly stuff heavenward. You have somebody that comes to you and says, will you pray with me about this? And you say, I absolutely will. And then you say, let's see what the Father's communicating. Let's see what the Father's saying. And you go into agreement and you go before the Father. That's the role of a priest. Priests bring sacrifice. They bring worship. They bring prayer. They, they represent from earth up. So here's where I'm going with this. As I was praying this week and praying about this message, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me that when we come into the kingdom of heaven as followers of Christ, when, another way, when you become a Christian, when you become a Christ follower, we naturally begin to start operating as a priest. We all do. And a lot of our teaching even verifies that and explains that. I mean, how many messages have you heard me talk? Hey, we need to pray. We talk about the principles of prayer. We need to be worshipers. Pastor Josh is exhorting us to worship while he's leading worship. But do you realize that prayer is earth up? Worship is earth up. Intercession is earth up. We do that now, and we're supposed to. Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. So we're supposed to take things from here, there. If that incense bowl of heaven is filled with the prayers of the saints, then I want to know that my prayers are filling that bowl. How about you? So we tend to do that. But we don't always understand the role of the prophet. I think that we think that the prophet's the super spiritual guy. Or the guy that, that's been in this a lot longer than I have. When the reality is the prophet is anyone that'll look to heaven and receive the revelation that God's given to them. That's who the prophet is. Now there are prophets with different styles. Okay? Uh, Ezekiel was a pretty gruff prophet. 
As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Ezekiel, most of it is the prophecies that God's given him, the revelation that he's given him. And he would describe things. He's like, I was in the spirit and I began to saw a wheel within a wheel and it was turning and there was fire. And you're, it's kind of even hard to comprehend what he was seeing. But when he saw it, he said, and God spoke. And then he told us what God said. Jeremiah was not a gruff prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet with a really big heart. And his heart was hurting. Because he realized that every time he shared a message with the people, that if they rejected the message, it was sealing their fate. And it was hard for him. As a matter of fact, we call Jeremiah what? What do we call him? The weeping prophet. There are several times, look in Jeremiah, where God says, stop crying. If you read it in the original Hebrew, it says, there's no crying in baseball. (laughs) No, no, it doesn't say that at all. Stop crying. Because he was brokenhearted. And he's like, Lord, they're not going to receive this. They're going to reject me. They're going to reject the message. And the Lord's like, don't cry about it. Share the message. I'll tell you one of the problems that we have in the church world and in the kingdom world. We have people that know how to prophesy, but they're too intimidated by the opinions of people. They're just too intimidated. I'm not saying that you can't intimidate me because I am human. But I'll tell you right now, Beth and I, God called us to start this church and we had nothing. We had nothing. We had a credit card with a really small limit on it when I made a commitment to rent a facility to start a church. We had nothing, but we had the promises of God, which meant we had everything. Because if you've got the promises of God, you got exactly what you need. So if you think that we're not going to prophesy now because we're worried that somebody might pull their funds or pull away or give up, I don't really care what anybody does here. I've got to share what God places on my heart to share and let those that have ears to hear grab it and let's take it to our community and let's bring some heaven to earth. But if you don't want to do that, there's other places. There's other places. Pastor Brad, did you get a phone call this week? No, I had the phone off this week. I'm not cranky. I just, the Lord is, why wouldn't I trust him? He was faithful when we had nothing and his promises were enough. And now that he's actually entrusted us with something, guess what? His promises are still enough. And we need some men and women of God to stand up in front of this community and in front of your family and in front of your nation and say, I'm not afraid and I know that my opinion offends you, but my opinion isn't from me. It's because I've been looking at heaven. And this is what heaven says. And this is what heaven desires. And I'm going to give you heaven. We need some prophets in the house. And the reality is, God says all of us can prophesy. Our sons and our daughters. Our old men. He he says the old men will dream dreams. I think it's because he he knows that old men need a nap from time to time. But he doesn't want them to miss out on revelation while they're sleeping. So he lets them get, he gives them a dream, even there in the nap time. How many could use a nap? How many could use a nap right now? How many of you are taking a nap right now? How many were taking a nap till I started yelling because I was trying to wake you up? Okay, I get a little Pentecostal when there's three sleepers in the house. Wake up, oh sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. That's right out of Ephesians, by the way. All right? We need some prophets. And by the way, if you're not getting dreams from God, I'm going to ask you, how's the insomnia going? You need to be careful. These phones that we now use for our alarm clock, we hear them buzz every time something goes off on our notifications and we're not getting rest anymore. 
And a lack of rest is going to hinder you and make you vulnerable in your life to yield to temptation. And there are times that you need to go ahead and buy something that we used to call an alarm clock and put this in the other room so that you can actually get some sleep because your body needs it. But you also might find out that God's been trying to tell you something, but you haven't been sleeping well enough to receive it. He grants sleep to those that he loves. And sometimes he just needs you to lay down and get some rest. And when you get quiet enough, he'll say, here's what I've been wanting to show you. How many know sometimes we are, it's so noisy in our head that we can't even hear what God's trying to communicate to us? Let's go to this last thing and see if I can do this quickly. Because what I want to do, and I've taken a long time to get here, but the Lord had me remind myself and dig into the role of the prophet and the role of the priest again so that I could encourage you in your prophetic role. Because I'm looking at prophetic people. Every one of you are prophetic people. And so I'm supposed to encourage you in that. I'm going to do that by sharing an example with you. I, I, and I'll just say, maybe I don't have this right. Maybe what I'm getting ready to share with you, maybe I don't have it right. But I really feel like it's an insight that we can glean, even if I'm not completely getting this properly. Don't you love it when a pastor comes up and says, what I'm getting ready to share with you could be wrong. Isn't that encouraging, all right? And then straighten it out. Talk about it with your family. I mean, if we go to church just to get a message and to stamp it, then we've got a problem. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with one another. But look at uh, Exodus chapter 39, verses 42 and 43. I'm going to go through this quickly so I can get to the ending, which is where I really feel like we're supposed to be. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And if you might be thinking, what work? This was when they did the work of the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle, it had the holiest of holy places, and it had the holy place, had all these things that were in there, and that's where the priests would come, and they would bring, bring the blood on the day of atonement, first for themselves and then for others, right? So the priests did, they did the work, and it was all done in the tabernacle. So the Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So who did the work? The Israelites. The work of the Lord that had been given to Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So he blessed them. So here's the image. I'm going to do this again. I know it's poor communication, but I'm going to do it again. Moses is spending time facing God. God is giving him commands about the tabernacle. He didn't give them to everybody. He gave them to Moses. Moses then took these commands, presented them to the skilled people, and said, let's construct this tabernacle according to the plans of the Lord. And since I'm the one that saw it, here it is. And he gave it to them. When they were done, they said, hey, Moses, come check it out. Moses came back, and he looked at it in comparison to what God had showed him, and he said, that's it. I bless you guys. So how many know that we bless what God does? We come into agreement with the things that God does and the things that God wants us to do. I'm just going to go there. How many things do local churches do that God doesn't want local churches to do? Because religion says you're supposed to do that. And you're supposed to have this and you're supposed to have that and every other AG church has it and this church is growing and they do it. And that Really, we need to say, God, what do you want us to do and we'll do what you want us to do and if we do what God wants us to do, we'll bless it and God will bless it. Okay? That was great, but God didn't even want us to do that. Ouch. Right? I think it's obvious that God wants us to take care of orphans and widows. It's in the scriptures. Do you realize that we are getting close? Think about this. 
This isn't a bragging moment. If we're going to boast on anything, we're going to boast on Jesus. But we are getting close to over $100,000 that's come in this year just for orphans and widows and the poor. Come on. Come on. That's when we're bringing heaven to earth. Well, how do we know we're supposed to take care of orphans and widows? Well, because it's throughout the entirety of Scripture. If you're wondering why God's blessing us, that's part of the reason. Because we're partnering with his heart for others. And some of us had to learn that because giving isn't natural. Can I get an amen? It takes supernatural help to pull that off. Let's look at uh, Hebrews. The author of Hebrews gives us some understanding of this. So a few thousand years after Moses blessed the people, look how the author of Hebrews defines this moment. He says, they serve at a sanctuary. Now, who's the they? Well, he's been talking about earthly priests and heavenly priests, our heavenly priest, Jesus. And the earthly priest is the they that we're referring to. The earthly priests serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That, this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. Look at what God said to Moses. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So let's, let's get some exegesis of this. It's simply this. Earthly priests serve in earthly tabernacles. But the earthly tabernacles were a shadow or a copy of what was shown to Moses. And what was shown to Moses was a heavenly tabernacle. Because when the author of Hebrews is talking about this, he said the earthly priest did a good job on the earth in a temporary fashion. But now our eternal priest has ascended to the heavenly tabernacle. And by the way, the earthly tabernacle was made like that one. Okay? So... What's a shadow? It's an absence of light. But a shadow takes place because there's really something here that allows there to be an absence of light behind me. When I, when I step in between me and that light, there's going to be a shadow behind me. The shadow, even though it's not really something, it proves that there is something. Are you tracking with me? It shows that there really is. The earthly tabernacle, Moses was told to build. He was, oh, he wasn't told at all. He was shown. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you. So when Moses got that revelation about the tabernacle, he saw something. He put it in instructions that he communicated to the Israelites and they on earth created what he saw in heaven. Where does this go? Look in John chapter 1 verse 14. Now, what was the tabernacle? What's the place that God had the people construct? And the priests served there and sacrifices were there and worship was there and blood offerings were brought there and prayer took place there. But let me remind you of another one. The word kavod. Kavod. Kavod is the Hebrew word for glory. In the tabernacle, the glory of God abided. Do you remember that Moses would go into the tabernacle and the presence of God would descend and when Moses would come out, he would be glowing. 
They're like, whoa. In Hebrew, they said, dude, look at him. The guy is shining. And somebody would say, yeah, he's been in the tabernacle. He was, none of us can go in there. Remember, only the priest could go into the tabernacle. And only the high priest could go into the holiest of holies. And even he could only do that once a year. But when Moses would go into the tabernacle, the glory of God, the kavod of God. Now, in the Greek, the word for glory is doxa. How many of you have ever sang the doxology? The doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The, it's the gloriology, right? Okay. John 1.14, the word. Notice it's capitalized because we're not just talking about your printed Bible. I believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. How many of you believe that as well? But we're not just talking about your printed Bible. We're talking about the living logos, the revelation of God, the word of God, the essence of Jesus. Because look, the word became flesh. Jesus, who's always been Jesus, he's always been the word of God. He's always been the son of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus put on flesh like clothing. You got dressed today, didn't you? And as your pastor, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for getting dressed today. Jesus put on clothing as a garment. The logos put on flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. Look what John says about him. We've seen his doxa, his kavod, his weightiness, his heaviness, his splendidness, his brightness. We've seen his glory. The doxa of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. This is an incredible verse. In this verse, we find out Jesus is the spiritual word of God revealed with flesh. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is full of truth. And Jesus is full of glory. Glory that you can see. Glory that you can behold. He made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling in the Greek is interesting. It's spelled this way when you transliterate it into English. S-K-E-N-O-O. S-K-E-N-O-O. But it's pronounced skenao. Skenao. How many of you ever heard skenao before? Maybe only those of you that were in early service, right? You know what skenao tra uh, translates? We've translated it in the NIV as made his dwelling. But in the original, you know how they heard it? tabernacled the word became flesh and tabernacled among us how many of you have ever went camping and set up camp set up the tent have you ever done that now uh, we've got dear friends you guys know them Wayne and Barbara Long Wayne's spoken here a few times he talks about camping as they drive around in their $600,000 RV I'm like that's not camping when you step into a bus that has gold fixtures, how many of you know that is not camping? When I'm coveting my neighbor's RV, that is not camping, okay? Camping is when you set up a tent, and some of us have went through that. That's how we did family vacations in my family. We set up a tent, and when it rained, you took a bath. You know what I'm talking about? When it rained, you just, hey, it's time to get cleaned up. It's raining, all right? Jesus set up a tabernacle among us. 
He made his dwelling. He tabernacled. They get this. We don't because we're from the West. We don't understand it. Literally, skenao, what that means is, just like there was a tabernacle in the Old Testament that Moses constructed, but only the priest could go in, Jesus is the tabernacle that came down to earth from heaven and all of us can go in. Even to the point that he said, prevent not the little children from coming unto me. You'd never let a child know that near the tabernacle, but you will let them come to Jesus. You see, the tabernacle is where the ministry is done. It's where the glory is. It's where the sins are forgiven. It's where the worship takes place. It's where the sacrifice is made whole. It's where everything is. I just wonder, and there's what I said, you might, you might not follow with me, and that's okay. But if Moses made everything according to what was shown him, and God specifically said, do it exactly the way you see it, what was the earthly tabernacle then, if Jesus is the tabernacle? Is it possible that Moses was looking at the Logos himself and that the best earthly representation of that was a place of the holiest of holies and a holy place and a place of sacrifice and worship and and intercession and prayer and outpouring, but more than anything, the glory Can I remind you that Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Jesus came from the glory full of grace and truth. In my opinion, Moses saw Jesus. And the earthly representation was a tabernacle, which was prophetic that the tabernacle would come and make his dwelling among us and then ascend to the Father that we too could ascend and make our dwelling in him. If I'm right on that, when we see what's going on in heaven and we desire it on earth, it is our responsibility to duplicate or to copy or to create a shadow of what is in heaven on earth and operate in it on earth until heaven comes. Until heaven comes. Here's some thoughts that I have for you, and and you guys can take it as a family, talk about it, chew on it, pray over it. When it comes to vision, I think this is something all of us can do. Number one, we can set our faces toward heaven. I'm not going to preach every one of these points. I'll just ask you a simple question. How many have some problems on earth that needs heaven's answers? Okay, so set your, then quit looking to earth's solutions. I, I get, there are things that I have pet peeves. I, I, one thing I hate, it, I, I hate people that say pet peeve. I don't hate people. I hate it when people say pet peeve. That pet peeve drives me crazy. So I'm now driving myself crazy. Ugh. But I think sometimes it's a little too easy to make Facebook prayer requests and manipulate people. I pray for us, we and and then they'll list, and this is exactly what we need. And I I'm not against community, but when you're just throwing something out there, are you just throwing it out there because you want prayer for that specific need? Are you hoping that maybe just maybe somebody will take care of that for you? And is it possible that your Facebook prayer request is really Facebook manipulation of people with a generous heart? 
Boy, it's really quiet in here. Am I the only one that's ever thought this? I ask people to pray for me. It tends to be in my relationships, not just on social media. It tends to be in my relationships. And I ask people to pray for me that I know will pray for me. I don't just throw it out there and hope that maybe one of my 2,900 connections will. I actually talk to, I, Pastor Josh and I have known each other for a long time. I know he'll pray with me. So I actually ask him to pray with me about it. My wife and I have been married for a number of years. <laughs> and half of them have been amazing. And the other half, we've survived each other. Okay? We, we talk about, we pray. But sometimes I wonder, when we're throwing that out there for everybody else, do we realize that when we're trying to do it for ourselves, that we're not giving the Lord the opportunity to do it, who can do it better anyway? I mean, he can. I mean, I'm not saying don't share your prayer request, but share your prayer request actually asking God to take care of it, not trying to manipulate your friend to write a check. <laughs> you guys are so quiet, but I'll stay here. We need to be careful about the way that we share things with others. The last thing, pastors can manipulate people all the time. That's the, I, you know how, do you know how accountable the Lord will hold me if I try to manipulate this congregation? You know what James 3.1 says? Not many of you should be, uh, presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ow. And if I'm off on this, I'm going to be held accountable for that. Right? I don't need to try to manipulate my Facebook network for the things that we're facing. You know who can take care of it? Yahweh. King of kings, Lord of lords, the I am. He knows how many hairs I have on my head, even though I'm dropping about 27 every stinking day. He knows it. He knows. He's got the current update. He knows how many hairs. He knows the bills. He knows the challenges. He knows the building. He knows the health. He knows the struggles. He knows the trials. And if I'll face heaven, I'll get heaven's answer. I don't need man's answer anyway. Number two. By the way, I didn't go there in the first service. I, maybe it's for the web. God bless you, my dear friends. We allow God to show us his direction. Number three, we turn and face the earth. Number four, we command the earth to come into agreement with what the Lord has shown us. And number five, we trust that we will experience the blessings of heaven on earth. There, I did it quick. At least two through five, I did it quick. I think when it comes to vision, these are some foundations that I see over and over in the scriptures that we all can agree with. I face heaven. God gives me the direction. I now turn and face the earth and I prophesy it. I proclaim it. And are you ready for this? And maybe even I activate it. Because the Israelites, what did they do when they saw the tabernacle that the Lord showed Moses? What did they do? They built it. And I think sometimes some of us get really good vision from God and then we turn and we prophesy it and we just hope that it will happen. How many know it doesn't typically happen when you're just hoping it will happen? It happens when you put feet to your faith and you do what God's shown you to do. Can I get an amen? amen. You received this one today? How many received at least 87.3% of it? All right, that's pretty, that's pretty good for a crowd like this. Let's stand together. A crowd like this, not meaning you're rebellious. That's not what I, I just mean this many people in the same room, all right? I know 
I know that some churches are judged by the size of their attendance. I really feel like we need to understand that we're going to be judged by the size of our obedience to doing the things he's showing us to do. And really, not doing the things that he's not showing us to do. Let's prophesy. Let's bring a little heaven to earth. You know, last week when I was in Ohio, I'll just, I'll just close with this little thought. I'm worshiping, and when I'm worshiping, I was just seeking the Lord. And I started seeing a shoulder that just didn't move well. I wasn't trying to think about a shoulder. I was trying to think about the presence of the Lord. Have you, anybody else that when you're worshiping, you have enough struggles anyway? You're not trying to think about other things? Um, I, I just, I mean, when I'm worshiping, I've told you before, sometimes I'll feel like my shirt's just out of place and it's rubbing my skin wrong and I have to take captive of my thought because I want to fiddle with my t-shirt the whole time. I'm like, right? Anybody else, do you have that kind of hyper skin sensitivity? Those of us with HSS understand hyper skin sensitivity. And so I, so, you know, I'm like, I want to focus on you, Jesus, but there's got to be a hair in my shirt, something, right? And so I'm just worshiping, and I kept seeing this shoulder that just wasn't working. Well, at some point you go, the Lord's showing me this. This is heaven communicating an answer to earth. So I just stepped up and said, hey, the Lord is showing me somebody's shoulder that's not working. And as I said that, the revelation came. It's arthritis. Oh, it's rheumatoid arthritis. How did I know that? I just, as I started sharing the word, the rest of it came out. And I'm thinking, well, that's specific. And one lady responded. She was a part of the Methodist church. She hadn't been able to move her arm up in years. But when the word was given, we brought heaven to earth. And instantly, 50% of it was, she instantly said it was 50% better in just that moment. Now, if you're like me, you start going, well, why not 100% better? Because we've got so much stinking religion. How many know that if your arm's bad and all of a sudden it's miraculously 50% better, that you couldn't do that, that's a miracle? And so we're trying to learn to celebrate what God's doing rather than being cranky about what he didn't. Okay? So I'm like, I went back and I just put a hand on her shoulder and said, I celebrate with you. That's amazing. And I'm trying to encourage her. She was encouraged. She's like, this is amazing. It's 50% better. She was fired up. It's the rest of us going 50%. And she goes, I feel heat all over my hand. I'm like, ooh, that's good. Because I've learned that when somebody feels heat on their hand, there's probably another healing getting ready to happen. It's like a healing sign. And the lady next to her, her friend says, well, I need, hearing in my, I need healing in my ear. I can't hear without this hearing aid. And she put her hand on her friend's ear, and her friend went, woo. <laughs> now, we're charismatic. We get woo. But Methodists don't tend to be charismatic. So woo was a whole new experience for her. She's like, woo. I feel heat. Her friend said, will be healed in Jesus' name. And she goes, man, this hearing aid's bothering me. Well, it was bothering her because the Lord had healed her ear. So she took the hearing aid out and her friend, she's like, I can hear you just fine. I can hear you just fine. So a lady with a 50% healing touches her friend and she gets 50% healed because one ear completely opens up and she still had a hearing aid in the other one. Weird, at least that night until the Lord touched her the next night and she was able to take both of her hearing aids out. I mean, it's amazing. And it started by simply seeing what God was doing. 
And then having the courage to speak it. Here's the deal. Many of you, you've seen things from God and you're going, is it me? Is it God? Is it me? Is it God? Listen, it's not you thinking about healing somebody's shoulder. You are far too selfish for that. I love you, all right? But the re- you're not coming in here going, who can I bless, right? We don't, I mean, it's the Lord trying to flow through us. I'll tell you one more story just for the fun of it. A lady had a hernia about the size of my fist. And we prayed over her, and the Lord told me to just have her do a crunch. And I said, Lord, I haven't done a crunch in years. I, it doesn't seem fair to ask her to do a crunch. When I think crunch, I think Dorito. The snap and the dip. That, anybody else? Is that where you go? I think Dorito. And I'm like, ma'am, would you just do a crunch? And she just did a crunch and she stood up and she went, ah! it was completely gone. The hernia just was healed. It was just in that moment. It's just amazing. Just amazing. There is so much available to us, guys. There is so much available. God, be our vision. Be our vision. And if you could show Moses a tabernacle, and that tabernacle represented Jesus probably because that's what he saw, (laughs) and we could operate on an earthly tabernacle until the heavenly tabernacle came to redeem us to the Father, what can we do if we'll just watch heaven? If we'll watch heaven rather than watching the news. If we'll watch heaven rather than just watching what's going on around us all the time. Help us watch heaven. Help us look at heaven. Show us. Give us your visions. As we stay focused on you, the visions will happen. And then give us the courage to execute those visions and to act upon them in the amazing name of Jesus. 